One day with Pastor Jarrett, we were talking about uh, uh, Galatians and me teaching it and just sort of working through some, some fun stuff on uh, what's going on and, and, and exciting plans with the church and all of this stuff. It was just a marvelous lunch. And then I had lunch with Pastor David Fleming, and we were talking about Galatians and everything going on at the church and all the wonderful, exciting stuff going on. And it was just a wonderful lunch. Um, I told... Uh, Oh, yeah, we need to swap that. Thank you. Uh, I, I told Pastor David uh, that uh, he may have to come in here and sub for me periodically just so y'all remember who he is. And he just laughed, said he'd be honored. So I don't know where, but uh, Pastor Jarrett and I were talking about it, and, and uh, uh, we're all pretty stoked. The three of us uh, 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 are just really enjoying each other, but in the process... Jarrett told me, Pastor Jarrett told me uh, when we had lunch, it was Friday. And I said, I want you to describe yourself to me. And he said, I'm a church nerd. He said, that's just all there is to it. He says, I would sleep under my desk if I could. I love it. I breathe it. I, I need a hobby because I just want to do church all the time. And I thought about it after we talked and I thought, you know, I'm not a church nerd. But I am a Bible nerd, so it's an interesting tandem. I'd just sleep with the Bible under my pillow if I had a choice and it wasn't so lumpy because I, I, I want to soak it up. And I tell you that to say that what we're doing today is an in-depth study. We're starting an in-depth study of a book in the New Testament called Galatians. When I was talking to Pastor Jared about it Friday, uh, he was uh, talking to me about how I prepare and how, how I do this stuff and and. When was the last time I, or no, maybe it was Pastor David who asked, when was the last time I had taught a book in depth where I just dig into it? And I've never done it in this class to my memory. Maybe I did, but I did. Maybe I did 1 John. 1 John. I couldn't remember for sure, so it didn't leave a lasting impression on me. But it's my favorite way to teach. So I'm really excited about this because when you take a book and don't say, hey, we're going to cover it in four Sundays. I mean, we're going to dive deep into this book. We're going to dive so deep that I want everybody to find some treasures. To find some beautiful formations deep under the ocean you've never seen before. Now think about the class by thinking about first who you are. And then as an extension, and if you're watching on the internet, same thing. Think about who you are. Some of you have probably never read Galatians. Some of you are relatively new to the whole Bible and Christian concept. And some of you have been to seminary and have seminary degrees. Some of you, if David Capes, he's been coming to these classes. Heavens, he was the dean of theology at Wheaton. He taught biblical Greek for 20 plus years at HBU. We've got a full spectrum of people. And then we've got Bible nerds like Larry Burgess, who probably reads more about this stuff than most everybody else put together. So we've got a whole spectrum. And it's hard to give something to each group of people when you're just dealing with a book in a week or two weeks or three weeks. But when we deep dive, we've got a chance. I'm looking at Coach. He's got a master's degree in theology or divinity or something. Don't you? Yes, and he's a football coach. Who'd have thunk? But you've got this wide range of people, and I've got to come up with a game plan, Coach, that, that plays everybody. 
So here is the way we're going to start. Today, if I could say anything about this lesson at all, the theme to this lesson is, this is serious stuff. We better pay attention. Let me tell you this. Scholars divide letters, biblical letters and others, into two big broad categories. One are called polemic letters. And they're just, we'll use an English word, um, nice letters. And the others are called irenic letters. They're fighting letters. They've got an edge. They've got a tone. Phone in Greek. They've got a tone. Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. And it was a very friendly letter about how God's grace saves us through Christ. Paul's got the same message in Galatians. But it's not a friendly letter. It's a fighting letter. It's a fascinating letter. And he starts out, and we start this study out, and you're going to see real quick, he expects you to be serious. you got to have your game face on. So that's the, the, where we're going. And today I can do three things, I hope, if we've got time and you don't fall asleep. Ms. Hammonds told me this morning, if I close my eyes, I'm not falling asleep. My eyes are dry. She's sitting right here in the middle on the front row. And I said, you know, if I had that, my eyes are dry. That's why my eyes are closed, excuse. A dollar for every time I had that, I'd be buying lunch for everybody. But as long as your eyes aren't dry and you're awake, we're going to make it through this thing. And here's what we're going to do. The first thing I want us to do is to talk about how to study an epistle epistle that's a fancy word for a letter so we're going to talk about because and when you're studying your bible you study an epistle differently than you study the psalms differently than you study the prophets differently than you study the gospels if I were teaching you and you were in my class well I am teaching you and you are in my class if this were a school class where I graded you I would make you write down, this is how you study an epistle. So we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to look at some background information. And the third point that I really want to get to today is we're going to deep dive into the first chapter of Galatians, the first five verses. So with that as our task before us, let's start with how do you study an epistle? How do you study a letter? Well, what do we know about letters? Letters are written to people, generally. That's the, Paul's not writing to uh, a mountaintop. Paul's not writing to um, a, a lake. He's writing a letter to people. He wrote to the churches of Galatia. And if the churches of Galatia are who he wrote to, we need to figure out who they are. It makes sense when you study an epistle as a letter that the first thing you want to do is read up on the people that are getting it. It makes a difference. Now what else do we know about letters? Letters are written at a certain time. We're coming up on Valentine's Day. It's a time to write a Valentine's card. You write letters at a certain time. And so when we study a letter, we don't want to just read up on the people, but we want to try to place the time of the letter. If I were to write you a letter about politics today, if I were to tell you, if, let, let's, no, let's do it this way. I found a letter. The letter says, I am so excited about the inauguration. 
Now would it not be fairly important to you to see the date on the letter? Is it this year or was it four years ago? Makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? You're reading a letter that says, I am so excited about the inauguration. And if it says dated January 20th, 2021, it's very different than if it says January 20th, 2017. Or 2013. Or 2009. Or any, you, you follow? Date is important. So we want to try to place the time. Now, Let's go another step. By the way, we have some people who are young enough in here, I need to remind them that before email, people wrote a lot more letters. <laughs> another thing about letters. Letters are written for a reason. Now, I don't just write you a letter because I got nothing better to do. Any letter that you write, I mean, I guess that may not be true. Well, even junk mail's got a reason. It's trying to sell you something, get you signed up for something, get you to vote for someone. I mean, you just don't do it. Now, this is even more true in the time of Paul. Because if you think about it, I can jot you a note here real fast. Paper is so cheap. We can get paper real easy. But in the time of Paul, it's not commercially available like that. You can't just run down to Walmart and grab a new tablet. You've got to figure out, you know, there are certain people who sell parchment. But it's, it's not commercial paper like we have today. And pens? You know, I've started trying to use a fountain pen that's got the little ink inside it with the little nib, it's a pain in the neck. And that's with modern inventions that give me an ability to put the ink in there and twirl it around. I should have brought you one as an example. Paul doesn't even have that, much less big click. Paul's got to deal with getting ink. And remember, Paul's on the road all the time. And it's not like, well, stick it in the back of the car. He's hauling this stuff. And so he's got to have ink. He's got to have a quill. He's got to have paper. It's not easy to do. So he doesn't just pell-mell, fire off, hey, about three hours every morning I'm going to answer my correspondence. It's very deliberate and he writes for a reason. So we not only need to read up on the people who get it, we not only need to try to place the time, but we need to figure out why he's writing it. Scholars call that the occasion. Why is he going to write the letter? Now when you start trying to figure out why he's going to write the letter, we're at a disadvantage. We're at a disadvantage because we're, well, we're at several disadvantages. We're almost 2,000 years later only reading what Paul has to say. So we don't really have a presence in Galatia at the time that caused Paul to write. In a sense, we're getting half the conversation. We can hear what Paul's saying, but we don't know what was said at the other end of the phone call that made Paul do this. Does that make sense? So we read up on the people, we try to place the time, we try to figure out why he did it, why he was writing. And the fourth and final thing in the way I'm setting it out for you today, I urge anybody who's going to do a deep dive into study, I urge you to first read the letter all the way through on your own. And when you do it, have a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper. And start with that big picture reading the whole letter and make notes about, hey, this may be part of why he wrote it, the occasion. Hey, here's a theme. He keeps coming back to this point. And you write it down. It's a theme. 
And if you start big with the whole letter and you read it and you make those notes, then you go back and you start working on bite-sized portions. And you can read a section or a paragraph and then a sentence and then maybe even dig into a word in that sentence. But if you start big and you work down to small, that's your best way to tackle and deep dive into an epistle. Got it? With that, let's go to the next one. Let's talk about the background. So we've talked about how to study. You know, we're going to do all of those things. The background we're going to do is the same thing. We're going to do that in here with one exception. But first, we're going to read up on the people. Now, to spare you, I read up on the people. Let me tell you about them. If you were to look at Galatia, it's in ancient Turkey. And it's almost had like an hourglass shape. Up in the northern region, North Galatia was bigger. And then it kind of swoops in a little bit. And then South Galatia was bigger. And scholars fuss and fight over whether Paul was writing to the Galatian churches in the north or in the south. I could spend two class periods ferreting out that discussion for you. But I'm not going to because it's just not that fruitful. And I got to tell you, in my mind, and I find scholars send me hate mail. In my mind, it's like a no-brainer he's writing to the southern Galatian churches. I mean, historically, I mean, and, and I say this, and I think most modern scholars agree. But if you pull out Lightfoot, who has a wonderful commentary on Galatians, and you pull out Lightfoot, who wrote over 100 years ago, he's going to say it's northern Galatia. Well, he was wrong. <laughs> the reason this makes a difference is multifold. First, I mean, the Galatians are interesting people. Um, Galatia, Galatia in the Greek, um, Galatia comes from originally the same word we get Celt, C-E-L-T, from. They, the Celts originally settled in the Danube Valley around what's now Austria. And they migrated out from there. A bunch went up to England. And that's where Celtic religion, we always think of Celtic religion out of England, but it started in the Danube Valley. A bunch of them came down to Turkey, Asia Minor, what is now called Turkey, but it was Galatia. And Galatia is actually a derivation of their original, the same word that we get Celtic from. It's that hard C, hard K, hard G sound, Galatia. So those were people, and up until a hundred or so years before Paul was writing, they had their own dialect. In fact, even at the time of Paul, a lot of them still did, up in the northern part of Galatia. But southern Galatia wasn't so ethnically oriented. Now, southern Galatia becomes very important for us to understand. That's where Paul's writing to, because... Paul was the missionary who founded the churches in southern Galatia. And we read about this in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. But Paul, in his first missionary journey, had departed from Antioch, northern Syria today, went by boat, hit a good island on the way there, and then put ashore at Turkey and started evangelizing churches. And so he evangelized the church of Pisidian Antioch. It's modern Yalvis. Pisidian Antioch. There were a lot of Antiochs, and so they had different names for each one. This one's Pisidian Antioch. So uh, uh, not the Antioch he left from, which was over in Syria. Not to be confused, okay? Pisidian Antioch. 
modern Yalvas. So, so Paul goes there and starts the church. He goes to the Jewish synagogue and he stands up on a Shabbat, on a Sabbath, and he tells them that Jesus the Messiah has come and all the events that had happened in Jerusalem. Now Jesus at this point in time has been resurrected, eh, depending on how you date stuff, figure somewhere around 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 years earlier. So this is hot on the heels. Things are still vibrant. This is before the Gospels have been written. Remember, the, the apostles and, and, and their protégés don't write the Gospels until they start figuring out that Jesus is not going to be back immediately. And a record needs to be made of this. What happened? Originally they thought he's going away. He'll be back in about a week and a half. And that's why they're selling everything to try to give it to the poor. Because it's like, man, look, if I knew Jesus was coming back in a week and a half. And I absolutely knew it. And you knew it. And there was no doubt in our minds. We'd be like doing anything we could to make sure all of our brothers and sisters are comfortable. But also to reach everybody for the word. And that fire was lit in the church. But Jesus didn't come back in a week and a half. And he didn't come back in a month or a year. And as the church began to realize, as the decades rolled by, oh yeah, God promised the Messiah thousands of years before he came. <laughs> maybe, maybe Jesus, we don't know when, come quickly Lord Jesus. But Jesus even indicated it was going to be a while. So let's make a record. So that's when they began writing the Gospels. So at this point where Paul's doing this missionary trip, he's not saying, let me read you what John wrote in the Gospel of John. John's not going to write for 50 years. So Paul is fresh as he's there. And he goes from there to Iconium, which is modern Konya. He goes down to Lystra, which is about 20 miles south of, of Iconium. He goes over to Derby. These are cities of Galatia. And if you read about it in the book of Acts, if we had the time to open up Acts and to look at each one of these passages, make a note if you want to, but go back and read Acts 13 and 14 of Paul's missionary time there. You'll see that the Jews were divided into two camps. Those that saw Jesus as Messiah and those that didn't. Those that saw Jesus as Messiah are rejoicing and thriving. Those that didn't are trying to kill Paul. And they start persecuting him. And they're getting upset. Especially when Paul starts preaching also to the Gentiles. Now he's kind of like left the club. How dare you? Now Paul had incredible credentials. I mean, I think every synagogue there was would have wanted to hear Paul. Paul had studied at the feet of Gamaliel, the top scholar of that entire generation. Paul had, had, had been in a Greek city, but he had gone as a young man to Jerusalem to study. <clears throat> Likely before leaving Jerusalem to return. But, but Paul, uh, 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 to Tarsus where he was from, but Paul uh, 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 is around all of these Jewish people who want to hear his message, but once they start hearing it, some of them say, no, 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 no. Paul's turning the world upside down and they start persecuting him trying to get the people to see pure Judaism as the right answer that's background here that's very important if we're reading up on the people now trying to place the time is interesting and all of these scholars debate about this and that and this and that and I could spend two to three classes setting out before you all the reasons that they discuss when this was written but frankly, our attendance would dwindle to one. And my wife would say, can't you just tell me this at home? My sister might come, but her husband, he'd just be out jogging. He'd say, no, I'm not going to buy any of this. 
So instead, let me tell you this. I think the when is very important. I think the when is very clear, but I think the when he wrote it is very easy to figure out. And it's sometime after Acts 14, 24 and before Acts 15, 6. You know what happened then? Acts 14, 24, he finished his missionary trip among the churches, founding those churches. Well, he can't be writing to them before they exist. So it's got to be after that. Fair? What he's telling them is that you don't have to be Jewish to be a Christian. And that was a huge debate that took place in Acts 15.6 in Jerusalem with Paul there. And all of the apostles that were there and all of the church leaders, even James the brother of Jesus, they all agree on the outcome and they write a letter for Gentile churches that says, and Jewish churches that says, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. You just need to do these certain things. And so I'm reading Galatians and I'm thinking, well, okay, if Paul wrote that, he had to have written it before the Jerusalem conference or he'd have said something about it. It would have been a much shorter letter just to say, hey guys, we had this debate, everybody agreed, the Holy Spirit was behind it, and here it is. But he doesn't do that. He spends his own time making his own explanations and arguments, even validating himself. So I think somewhere in there this is written. What does that mean to us? It means this is written in the late 40s. That means the letter of Galatians was written probably 15, 18 years, 17 years. 15 to 17 years after the death of Christ. It is our earliest writing of Paul... And with the exceptions maybe of the epistle of James, probably the earliest New Testament writing. So what we're seeing here is not like the gospel of John, one of the latest New Testament writings where, where the, the Holy Spirit had revealed oh, more and more and more to the apostles. We're seeing very embryonic Christian thought. As the Holy Spirit has been dispensing that knowledge and awareness and, and eye-opening enlightenment to the apostles and the church. But it's, it's still growing. That becomes extremely important because you'll meet some people sometime. If you talk religion to people who say, oh, this idea that Jesus was Lord and Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus rose from the dead. That was all done by people you know, a generation later, that was, just, that was just thought and blah, blah, blah. And they'll try to undercut the idea of Jesus as Lord God. So when you go back and you see something that's written 15 years after his resurrection, you're reading something that's as early, as nascent, as embryonic, whatever words you want to use. You're, you're seeing it at the start. And so the message, which is so clear, becomes so emphatic and important. So with that being the times, let me just say, we've got the earliest of Paul's letters. And that places the time. Now, the occasion. Why did Paul write this? <clears throat> well, if you had, before class, done what I have urged you to do and read through the entire letter with a pencil and paper and made notes about things, I suspect you would have decided all on your own that Paul was addressing two crisis points for those churches. There were two crisis points. Crisis point number one. Well, before I get to number one, I want to tell you this. There were two crisis points, and I told you that Paul was kind of like in a boxing mood with this. 
This is like an attack. This is a, a, an attack letter of sorts. He has he he name calls the people who are who are causing this trouble. He calls them troublemakers. Parasontes. Parasontes. Better accent it right. Parasontes. They're troublemakers. This is what he says in, in uh, Galatians 1.7. He says, Look at it starting with 1.6. I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. The Greek word is just troublemakers. That's what it is. They're troublemakers. Not only are there troublemakers, but there are also um, um, agitators. Show you Galatians 5:12. He says, um, <laughs> Now remember, I said that he was kind of like, this is a fighting letter, right? I wish those who would unsettle you, agitators, it's the Greek word. It's um, anastas, no, anastatuntes, because it's a participle. Anastatuntes, something like that. Um, I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves, be castrated. <laughs> He's not meant some words here. You know, they want to undercut me? Castrate themselves. Paul's upset in this letter. Paul's upset because there are two crisis points that these agitators and troublemakers are going through. First, they challenge Paul's authority. Paul small. And second, they challenged the gospel message, which I guess should actually be first in importance. I like what John Calvin said in his commentary on this. He said, it is no light evil to quench the brightness of the gospel. Paul took umbrage, not so much because they attacked him, but because in attacking him, they used attacking him to minimize change, yea, to distort the gospel. And Paul is not happy about that. As, as um, was it the Beverly Hillbillies where Granny would say, them's fighting words? That's the way it was for Paul. So we want to figure out the occasion. He's writing because his authority's been challenged and more importantly, the gospel has been distorted. And he wants to fix that. Now the fourth thing we need to do is read the whole letter at once and make notes about themes and content. And I'm not going to do that. That's your homework assignment. So y'all go home, break out your notes, break out your Bible. If you need a cup of coffee, get a cup of coffee. If you work off your computer, work off your computer. But you go home, you get yourself ready, and you find time this week, please, to read this short letter six little chapters, and take a sheet of paper and make notes about themes. What does he keep saying over and over? And, uh, uh, you know, just what stands out in this letter? It doesn't hurt to put down problem passages, too. It might be something you don't understand. Like, what? You're going to get to that stuff about the mountains of Sarah and Hagar, and you're going to go, what? And we'll talk about those things, too. But, Read through the letter before next Sunday if you get a chance. Now, having said that, I've tried to save 15 minutes or so to talk about Galatians 1, 1 through 5, pretending that we've read the whole letter and kind of bringing in some stuff that you'd have picked up on when we read the whole letter, if we had, because it helps us. And I'm going to try something different here. I don't know how this works, but recognizing that we've got some people who... Um, uh, love the word and want to study the word 
we've also got some people who want to dabble sometimes in knowing what the Greek says, what Paul's original said. And then we've also got some people, some, who want to, uh, who, who know Greek. Um, we've got some really good Greek scholars in here and Greek students. So I'm going to try something a little different. But I've got to start by telling you a story about my Greek professor who taught Galatians and Romans as a, as a class at my school where I was going to school. And I've told this story before, but I love this story. And he's dead, and I get to tell this story. I give myself allowance to tell this story at least every other year. And I don't think I've told it in an every other year yet. Okay? I went to a school where at the time the Bible department was very strict old school. Sarah, it was so old school that the professors were required to teach out of either the King James Version or the Old American Standard. Not the New American Standard. The Old American Standard. And the professors were expected to teach that way and students would bring one or the other if they were serious students in the Bible department. Now, I, Dr. Floyd, my Greek professor, he knew that those were not always the best translations. He, he read Greek as well as I read English. And so Dr. Floyd would quickly identify what translation we had brought. So Holly, if you were bringing an ESV, he would just say, um, um, Miss Johnson, would you please read for the class Galatians 1, 1 through 5? Because he wanted it read out of the NIV. Or uh, Diane, he would call on you if you had a, a, a new, you know, American standard. And he'd have you read if, if that's what he wanted. But Dr. Floyd only carried his Greek New Testament. Now, we knew that as students. Heavens, I had him for Greek. We knew he only read out of the Greek New Testament. We knew that was his Bible. And so when he was reading, it would just be him translating dead on the spot. Well, one time he was reading one of these passages and instead of having a student read it, Dr. Floyd read it. And it was a bigger class, and so it had students in there who didn't know Dr. Floyd, but had rumored that he was some teacher who taught grace and the gospel. And so they wanted to try and get him fired. So one of these students said, uh, raised his hand, and he said, Dr. Floyd, you just read this passage. I am trying to follow along. I have the King James Version. I have the American standard, and I can't follow what you're saying. Can I ask what version you're teaching from? Thinking he's caught the guy teaching from something unauthorized in our department. And Dr. Floyd, kind and gentle and humble man, but a man kind of like Paul who would not truck with people who were going to mess with the gospel. He took his glasses off and he says, Ooh, what version? What version indeed? Yes, yes. What version does Dr. Floyd read from? Oh, well, uh, Mr. Smith, I won't call the guy's name. I know who it was. I could, but he may have learned grace since then. He said, well, Mr. Smith, uh, why don't you come up and tell the class the version that I'm reading from? Yes, I think that would be very good. Yeah, I think, Mr. Smith, you should come up and you should expose to the class. Dr. Floyd's version. So a guy struts up to the front of the class. This kid had never had Greek or he'd have known about Dr. Floyd. Struts up there, looks down, and he sees, and he goes, well, well, well this, this is, I think this is Greek. And Dr. Floyd said, yes, it is. Yes, it is, Mr. Smith. Shall we just say that Dr. Floyd teaches out of Paul's translation? <laughs> yes, I think that would be fine. We'll just say Dr. Floyd uses Paul. Please take your seat, Mr. Smith. 
and he sat down. That story was very formative to me. And recognizing that we've got a breadth of people in here, I'm going to try something, and if it stinks and it's terrible and it doesn't work, I'll junk it next week. But if it works, this is going to really help me teach this class. Here it is. We're going to put the English on one side, and we're going to put the Greek on the other. And occasionally, I'm going to highlight a word. That way we can follow it and work through this passage. So let's begin by reading the entire passage. And we'll do it in English. And then we'll go back and we'll dissect it and take it apart as part of our deep dive. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of, God, of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, here's what might happen at home. You might just be reading through this and think, no problemo, I got this. Okay, Paul and Apostle, not from now, I got this, I got this. But we're going to deep dive. So we're going to enjoy each little word for a moment, or at least a lot of them. I want us to look, for example, Paul, an apostle. He doesn't start all his letters that way. He does some. But if you look at his letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians, he starts out, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, or slaves, doulos of Christ Jesus to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. That's the way he starts that one. But this letter, he starts out, and it was very typical in that day when you wrote a letter to begin by identifying yourself the author. And, you know, you think, well, wouldn't that be on the envelope? No, they didn't do it like that in the envelope. Well, was he using letterhead? No, they didn't have letterhead. He's got a piece of parchment that's probably rolled up and tied with the functional equivalent of a string and sent out, or a ribbon, and sent out. And so he starts, very beginning, all of the letters back then, identifying who wrote it and who they're writing to and a greeting. That was kind of like the bam, bam, bam of a letter. And so Paul begins, but Paul doesn't simply say, Paul, who started your church? Paul, you know the one. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus. No, he says, Paul, an apostle. Remember, if we'd read the whole letter, we would have known that one of the crisis points is whether or not Paul had authority. Because people came and said, oh, Paul taught you that? Bless his little heart. He doesn't understand it. Let me illuminate you further. Let me fix what Paul said. So you've got a bunch of people who have the crisis point of, is Paul authoritative? So Paul sticks right up there. And in Greek, it's the second word. Paulos, apostolos. Paul, apostle. He don't want you to miss it. Now that Greek word apostle, it references someone who's a delegate or an envoy or a messenger. And it can mean someone who's just a general messenger. Uh, you can see that use of the word in John 13, 16. I used to be real concerned. I thought there were 12 apostles and then you start reading about all this other stuff. No, Jesus designated 12 specific messengers who were commissioned by him but the idea of an apostle that word apostolos just means a messenger an envoy a delegate or something like that let me give you the john 13 16 example this is jesus talking and you can write this down and keep this as a good example um, jesus after he's washed the feet of the uh, apostles when he'd washed his feet uh, he says, da, 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 da. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. That's apostolos. 
The translators just don't put apostle there because they don't want to wig you out. But it's the same word. Because that word functions in multiple ways. So we've got a general usage of the word, but there's a very specific usage of the word, meaning commissioned with authority. Now, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. And by that, uh, it means I've gone to law school, I've passed a bar exam, I'm licensed to practice law in multiple states, I'm a lawyer. But, that's a general idea. But I can also be your lawyer, where I go into court on your behalf and I represent you. And then what I say is binding on you, as if you said it yourself. In the same, so we, we, we do the same thing with words. We can just talk about being a lawyer. Or we can talk about the role of a specific lawyer for someone at the moment. So Paul is not a general messenger. He is one who's been commissioned with authority from Jesus Christ. And he wants his people to know that. Paul knows that word apostle can mean different things. So Paul says he's an apostolos, uk op anthropon, ude di anthropu. Not, uk, not from men, nor through men. I'm not just some fella who's been sent by some other people to, with a message for the church. I'm not an apostle, I'm not that general kind of messenger. Don't look at this and think, oh, Paul's just saying he's a general. No, 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 that's not me. I'm someone who's been commissioned with authority. I'm an apostle, but I'm an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's who has commissioned me. I'm speaking on their behalf. I'm speaking what they want. I'm carrying their message. I am their agent. I am their envoy. There's no middleman. And if we read the whole letter, we would be picking up on this in other places, like later in chapter 1, where Paul talks about, hey, I didn't get this gospel that I gave to you from some human. This is from God. Jesus, God saw fit for Jesus to appear to me. And Paul's putting it out there, front and center. Paul, an apostle. So this is why I term this class, better pay attention. This is serious stuff. Paul's going at it. Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And by the way, who raised him from the dead. That's a critical part of Paul's whole life. Paul began his public career that we know of by persecuting people who said Jesus was rose from the dead. That Jesus was Messiah. Paul began his public career. Paul was there as a, almost an attorney general-esque at the, the, the martyrdom of Stephen. Because Stephen was confessing Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. Paul gets letters to go to churches to, to, to lock up and jail people who are Christians. And so within the framework of this, we've got Paul being very, very, very clear at the very beginning that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Now, this is huge. And, and if we read all of this, we'd have seen how this comes into play in Galatians 1, 11 through 17. I think we've got enough time to look at it briefly. Galatians 1, 11 through 17. Paul says, I'd have you know, brothers... The gospel that was preached by me isn't man's gospel. I didn't receive it from a man. I wasn't taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
You've heard of my former life. I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him. He revealed his son. Do we need to get any help down here? Um, we're okay? We need a wheelchair. Can we get a wheelchair down here, please? Thank you. Um, when, when we have a situation here where Paul is saying that Jesus was revealed to him. Well, how does Jesus get revealed? By being resurrected from the dead. Otherwise, it's a dead Jesus. The revelation of Jesus is the resurrection of, or is the story of one. And so Paul says, he's an apostle, not from men, but through Jesus who raised him, and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And that's where he puts in all the brothers who are with me. Um, let's just stop for a moment and, and have a prayer about this. Father, in the name of Jesus, resurrected from the dead Jesus, we ask you right now for your presence here. We ask for your peace in place of fear. We ask for your gentle touch in face of, of just all that there could be. We ask for wisdom in how to deal with this process. We ask for your tender mercies. Bless our sister right now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I'd like to do. We've got about six minutes left. This message is extremely important. I may pick back up on this message a little bit next week and let us out a little bit early. But what I want us to do is I want us to understand the importance of Paul's message that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because that's going to be core to this entire book. So I'm going to dismiss us at this point. But what I'm going to do is ask us to go out that way as opposed to this way. And uh, leave these folks to deal with this. We've got uh, our own folks who can do this down here. We've got a doctor, a nurse, and a bunch of really caring people. Um, so in the name of Jesus, Father, we dismiss this class and we pray your blessings upon us. We thank you for your love and care in the midst of all that this world throws. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you next Sunday.